Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, May 5th, 2019, on the basis of Acts 9, verses 1 through 22. So when that alarm clock goes off bright and early tomorrow morning, what is it that will have you hopping out of bed, eager and ready to face the day? In other words, what do you care about so much? What are you so passionate about that it makes you do all of the other things that you do? Get up, get dressed, drive to work, take one more phone call, respond to one more email, drive the kids around here, there, and everywhere, make dinner, put the dishes away, do the laundry. What's it all for? Why do you do those things? In other words, what is it that you are living for? If you're anything like me, you don't often actually stop and think about that. In fact, we live lives that are so busy and so distracted that it kind of almost makes it impossible for us to do so. When that alarm clock goes off, far from the first thought being in your head, something so deep and profound as, what is the reason for my existence? Maybe if you're anything like me, it's instead the 835 things that you need to do that day. Or because that alarm clock is also an app on your phone that is now in your hand, maybe the first thing on your mind is the 247 things that have popped up on your social media feed since the last time you checked it. If you're anything like me, it's easy to just put your head down and go, 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 and suddenly the days and the weeks, even the months and the years just go flying by. But then, every now and then, something comes along that just stops you dead in your tracks, that actually forces you to pause for a second and take your life off of autopilot and ask those important questions. What is this all for? What am I living for? Maybe it's something entirely natural and ordinary. You turn 40 years old. The last child moves out of the house. Maybe it's something completely unexpected and unnatural the education you've been pursuing, the career that you've been working so hard for just kind of evaporates into thin air. You get bad news from the doctor, you lose a loved one, and suddenly your own mortality just kind of punches you right in the gut. If not for occasional things like that that just stop us dead in our tracks and force us to stop and think, we might never stop and wonder, what is this all for? What is it that I'm living for? Well, thankfully, we don't have to sit around and wait for the next of those occasional moments to come along because, believe it or not, Easter does that very thing. We're right in the middle of our celebration of Easter here at Good News, and today we're going to look at the story of a man who came face-to-face with Easter and whose life Easter completely turned around. He was on a path that he thought he knew was the right path. He was very passionate about the path that he was following, but then he came face-to-face with the reality of Jesus' resurrection, and it changed everything. It, first of all, exposed that the path that he was on was a complete and total dead end, and secondly, it helped him see something that was truly, in fact, worth living for. And as we look at these verses from Acts chapter 9 today, we're going to see that Easter can do the very same thing for you and me. As we look at these verses, we're going to see that Jesus' resurrection will stop you dead in your tracks. So these verses are about a man named Saul. And Saul thought that he was on the right path. Saul knew what he was living for. In fact, Saul was filled with an intense, white-hot passion for one thing, stopping Christianity. 
Paul assumed that Jesus had been a false prophet and had therefore gotten exactly what he deserved when he was crucified on the cross. Paul assumed that when Jesus' followers had started going around telling everyone that he had risen from the dead, they were lying. And so Paul was convinced that this whole Christianity thing needed to be stopped. You heard how those efforts started in Jerusalem, where Paul was breathing out murderous threats against Christ's disciples. But that wasn't enough for Paul, because Paul knew that a bunch of Christians had scattered from Jerusalem and settled up in Damascus, 150 miles to the north. Not to be deterred, Paul obtained official authorization from the high priest to go up to Damascus, find any Christians who were there, round them up, and bring them back to Jerusalem under custody. Forget about having a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Can you imagine being, to, being willing to walk from Madison to Chicago? That's about the same distance. From Madison to Chicago and back for something. Whatever that something was, I'm guessing it would be very, very important to you. Paul was convinced that he was on the right path. That's what he was passionate about. But then suddenly something stopped him dead in his tracks, both literally and figuratively. And it was Jesus, alive, risen from the dead. Talk about hitting a brick wall in your life, right? The very thing that Paul had thought was a lie, he now saw was actually the truth. The work that he was doing that he thought was for God was actually work he was doing against God. And the very thing that he was trying so hard and so passionately to stop, he now realized was unstoppable. It's no wonder that this encounter with Jesus had the effect on Paul that it did. Paul went into the city of Damascus and we're told that for three days he didn't eat or drink anything. He had lost his reason to live. He had lost his reason to get out of bed in the morning. He was utterly despondent that everything he had been giving his life for was a total sham and a total lie. Jesus' resurrection had exposed that path as a complete and total dead end. Now, as we look at the story of this man named Saul today, we might be tempted to think to ourselves, well, what in the world does that have to do with me? Because no matter what path you might be on in your life, I'm guessing you would conclude it doesn't look anything like the path that that Saul was on. And yet it's important for us to realize that this path Saul had chosen was really based on one simple assumption. Jesus was still dead. And as you might imagine, there are still a lot of paths in life that a lot of people choose that are still based on that very same assumption. Jesus is still dead. Because if Jesus is still dead, then this life is all there is. It's our one shot. Which means that this life and the whole purpose for this life is to figure out a way, figure out something that we can do to to make a difference, to have an impact, to make a name for ourselves. And so when it comes to the things that we do, our hobbies, our career, our education, whatever it might be, they serve that purpose. This is our one crack at it. Then when it comes to the people that we're surrounded by, those people can fall into one of three categories. First of all, they might be people that can help us in our pursuit of our goals. In other words, they're people that we can take advantage of for our own purposes. Or they're people that are standing in the way of us pursuing our goals, and so they are annoying nuisances that need to be eliminated. Or they're people who are competing with us in our pursuit of our goals, so they're people that we need to compare ourselves to and in many cases be jealous and envious of. If this life is really all there is, it means that the ultimate joy, the ultimate pleasure, the ultimate happiness that we might ever experience is only what can be found in this life. 
And so, of course, if anything brings us that joy and that pleasure, it must be pursued. And if anything is difficult or painful or a struggle, it must be avoided at all costs. All of that makes perfect, total, complete sense if Jesus is still dead. So, of course, the big question for us to ask this morning is, does the path that we're on ever look anything like that? And, of course, none of that makes any sense at all if Jesus is actually alive. If we take our lives off of autopilot, even for just one second, to stop and think that, yes, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, it will expose that path as a total and complete dead end. It will expose the utter foolishness of any choices that we make, any priorities that we set, any paths that we pursue under the assumption that this life is all we've got. Jesus' resurrection exposes that path as a complete dead end. But thankfully, Jesus' resurrection does more than that. Saul blinded by what he had seen and despondent over what he had realized, went into the city of Damascus. And then Jesus appeared in a vision to a man by the name of Ananias, a Christian in Damascus. And he told Ananias to go and deliver to Saul some incredible news. That Jesus had chosen Saul to be his chosen instrument to bring the name of Jesus to people and nations and countries all over the world. In fact, that Jesus had chosen Paul, that for the rest of his life, everything that he would go through, everything that he would experience would be for the name of Jesus. The very name that he had up until that point been trying to silence, Saul would now give his life trying to spread. And sure enough, by the end of these verses, we see it. We see it in action. After Saul had been baptized by Ananias, he immediately got up and he started spreading the name of Jesus right there in the city of Damascus, convincing people that Jesus was the Christ. In fact, Paul would give the rest of his life to doing that very thing. Jesus' resurrection had not only exposed the dead end in Paul's life, it had also shown Paul and helped him see something that now truly was worth living for. So again, we might be tempted to ask ourselves, well, what does that have to do with me? If we are going to spend our lives living for the name of Jesus, does it mean that our path needs to look exactly like Paul, traveling all over the world telling people all about Jesus? Well, we'll get to the specifics in just a second, but before we do, I want to talk about something even more fundamental than that. What Paul had really realized that day was that Jesus' name was something worth living for. And as you think about that, in your own life, I want you to think about it in these terms. You maybe know that yesterday was the 145th running of the Kentucky Derby. And for casual horse racing fans like myself, one thing that's always a little bit interesting about the Kentucky Derby is seeing all of the unique and sometimes humorous names that owners come up with for their horses. Of course, in a lot of cases, those names are very quickly forgotten, almost as quickly as the race is over. But, but if a horse proves its worth, if a horse accomplishes great things in races like the Kentucky Derby, then suddenly that name sort of becomes embedded and enshrined in our American consciousness. Think of names like Seabiscuit or Secretariat or more recently American Pharaoh. Names that stick around, names that have proven their worth. Of course, one other thing that goes on with the Kentucky Derby is that on that day, a lot of people pick out the names 
of one of those specific horses, and they put a lot of money on that name, hoping to get a big payoff. In fact, yesterday, the horse that won the race was named Country Home, and heading into the race, the odds that that horse would win were 65 to 1. That's what they call a long shot, which means that if you had bet on Country Home, you would have a pretty nice return. But of course, the whole assumption of placing a bet on a racehorse is that you have to do that before the race is won. run, right? You have to do that before you know whether that specific name is really going to be worth anything at all. Imagine if that weren't the case. Imagine if today you could place a bet on the race that was already run and won yesterday. At 65 to 1 odds, imagine if you could place that bet already knowing the outcome of the race. How much money would you put down? You'd put down everything, right? You wouldn't just empty your checking account. You'd go selling off all of your stocks. You'd have the garage sale to end all garage sales just so you would have as much cash as you possibly could to place that bet because it would be that sure of a thing. And friends, in the name Jesus, we have exactly that. When it comes to that name Jesus, its worth has already been proven. The outcome of his contest has already been decided, which means that you can wager, you can bet, you can place as much as you ever would possibly want on that name. And yes, we're talking about money. We're also talking about things like our time, our schedules, our priorities. We're talking about the big decisions that we make in life, like where to live and what jobs to take and where to go to college. You can put whatever you would want on that name. And you will never come up empty. It will always pay off big time. Jesus' resurrection proves it. Jesus' resurrection proves that Jesus' name is worth living for. Well, so now what about the specifics? How do we do that? number of misconceptions that are good to clear up as we take a look at these verses. First misconception might be that the only way to live for Jesus' name would be to give your life full time to what we might call church work, sort of like what Saul did, traveling the world telling people about Jesus. Certainly I would encourage anyone, especially the the younger people among us, that as they grow up and they weigh all their options to consider full-time work in the church. In fact, wouldn't it be great if some of the young people who are sitting here today would grow up to be pastors teachers and missionaries. What a great thing that would be. But what's interesting about this guy named Saul is that, yes, Jesus chose him specifically for full-time work in the church, but really Paul, Saul, had already chosen that for himself. Before Jesus had appeared to him, Saul had made the choice that he was going to give his life full-time toward religious works. It was just completely the the wrong religious work, and so Jesus needed to redirect him. It's no wonder then that as this very same guy named Saul would later write to Christians who had the same experience, who encountered Jesus' resurrection and thus were converted to the Christian faith, and as they wondered to themselves, how do we live our lives for the name of Jesus? Saul did not say, leave your whole life behind, quit your job, abandon your family, leave your home and travel the world telling people about Jesus. No, he said, live for the name of Jesus right where you are with exactly what you're doing. That brings us to some more misconceptions that are good to clear up. One of those misconceptions would be that the only way that you live for Jesus in your life is in the work that you do that is churchy, 
you might say. That, for example, the job that you have from 9 to 5 and the family that you're a part of and that the community that you live in, those things are all lived for, for something else, whatever it might be. But then if you volunteer or you give time here at church, that that is lived for the name of Jesus. Or another misconception that the only way that you live for Jesus in your day-to-day life is to the extent that you are actually talking about Jesus with people and sharing Jesus with people. That's certainly part of what it means to live for Jesus' name, but it's by no means all of it. No, living for Jesus' name is much, much bigger than that. So, for example, when you approach your job or your education or whatever it is that you set your mind and your heart to and you do those things not to make a name for yourself, not to feel like you've made a difference in this world, not to feel as though you've had a sense of accomplishment. Why? Because instead you trust what Jesus says about you, that you care more about what Jesus says about you than what you would say about yourself or what anybody else would say about your worth and your value, then you are living for Jesus' name. If you approach people and you don't treat them as stepping stones to be taken advantage of or nuisances that need to be eliminated or competitors that we need to compare ourselves to and be jealous of, but instead you treat each and every person as someone whose value and worth is infinite. Why? Because Jesus himself has said that very thing. In fact, Jesus has given his life for those people. There too, you are living your life for Jesus' name. If you approach the cheap thrills and the passing pleasures of this life and you are willing to actually forego them, maybe even fight against them because you know that Jesus has a joy that is in store for you that is far greater than anything this life could offer. If you are willing to bear up under struggle and suffering because Jesus' death and resurrection have proven that God often works his very best in what appears to be worst, you are living your life for the name of Jesus. And then, yes, all of that said, you also have opportunity to live your life for the name of Jesus as part of this group. As part of this group that has some very important work to do. And in a minute, you're going to hear some of the specifics about the work that we plan to do. And as we do, it's important to remember really what's at the heart of it all. Our mission statement as a congregation puts it this way, that good news exists to pierce our world's deafening noise with the distinct voice of the good news. The good news of what our Savior Jesus has done for us, that he lived, died, and rose for us. In other words, we exist to make known the name Jesus. And Jesus' resurrection has proven that's a path worth pursuing. That's a thing worth taking up. That's a name that is worth making known. Our reason for existence is a reason worth existing. And so, friends, Jesus' resurrection has proven that it is worth it to live for the name of Jesus, both in your daily lives as individuals, as members of a family and a community, and then also, yes, in your lives as members of a Christian congregation. And as you do, and as you consider all the opportunities that Jesus himself places before you to do that, Know with absolute certainty that no other path that you could possibly ever pursue could possibly ever compare. It probably would come as no surprise for me to tell you today that Jesus was doing something pretty big with this guy named Saul in these verses. But we need to make sure we realize just how big of a thing Jesus was doing. This guy named Saul 
is more commonly, of course, referred to by the name Paul. In fact, it's slipped into my language a couple of times already throughout this sermon. Even though he's always called Saul in these verses, he was also known as Paul, as in Paul the man who would travel all over the world spreading the message of Christianity, as in Paul the guy who's responsible for writing more than half of the New Testament. This guy named Paul. Jesus did that through him. This persecutor of the Christian faith. So if you're ever skeptical, like Ananias was, wondering, can Jesus do much with his name through someone like me? Remember Saul. If you're ever tempted to wonder whether the name of Jesus is worth living for, like Saul was, remember what Saul found out. God did big things through this guy named Saul. In fact, it's not a stretch or exaggeration at all to say part of the reason we are sitting here today, part of the reason we will get to spend an eternity in heaven with all those we love is because of what God did through Saul. And friends, it's that kind of impact, that kind of difference, that kind of path that Jesus himself invites you to be a part of. And if we just stop and think for a second, the implications of that, the work that God wants us to do, just how much the name of Jesus is something worth living for, Well, it's not just enough to get you out of bed in the morning. It's something that'll stop you dead in your tracks. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.